Welcome to Casey Connect brought to you by IBEX Employer Relations Team. Across this series of short episodes, we will provide insight and expertise on some of the most common challenges for our members and discuss the case law shaping the employer relations landscape. My name is Murray McHenry, ER Executive in the IBEC Midwest office, and I'm joined today by my colleague Kira Marta, ER Executive. And for the next 10 minutes or so, we will discuss two recent decisions from the Labour Court dealing with the topic of post-retirement fixed-term contracts and specifically the issue of objective justification of retirement ages. So, Kier, do you want to take us through the first case? Yes, thank you, Mirren. Um, so the first case is McLaughlin and Sons versus Pauline Butler. So this is an appeal to the Labour Court and it was a, of an adjudication officer's decision under the Employment Equality Acts. So specific to this case, the claims were for alleged discrimination on the age and gender ground. And it is important to note neither of these succeeded at the first instance. So I will talk you through this now. So firstly, the relevant facts are that Miss Butler was employed from 1998 until 2020, which was 22 years as a receptionist. So her contract of employment didn't specify a retirement age. However, the pension scheme that she was a member of stated that she was entitled to receive her pension at 65. So separate to this, in the context of redundancy being offered to a number of her colleagues, the employee, Miss Butler, did email the managing director on the 13th of May 2020, and she asked for her name to be put forward for redundancy. So the MD replied to confirm that he wouldn't be making her redundant as she was due to retire later that same year on the 29th of September. And he cited that this was in line with established custom and practice. At this point, the managing director also gave her the option of being paid until the 29th of September without being required to attend work. So the employee advised her employer at that point that it actually wasn't her intention to retire at 65 at all, and she intended working until April 2021. Okay, so that was effectively just the six-month extension then? Yes, that's right. So initially, she was told that that wasn't an option as a result of the impact of COVID, which had on the business. But this position actually subsequently changed, and she was given two options. So the first option Miss Butler was given was a six-month fixed-term contract, which was due to commence on the 1st of October 2020. This was subject to returning to the office on the 6th of July, or the second option was to continue payment until her 65th birthday without requiring her to return to work, which was actually the original offer made. So no reply was received and a second letter issued, which was slightly different, offering her this time an extension to work until April 2021, which was subject to returning to work. There was no mention of a fixed term contract. So again, the employee didn't confirm which option she wished to choose. Okay, so notwithstanding the initial refusal, the employer did eventually grant her request and actually offered her two options. Yeah, that's correct. And and I suppose that is influential and, you know, on the basis of of the decision. And we'll see why now shortly. So firstly, the company failed to advance any objective justification whatsoever for its policy of mandatory retirement age. And the court did award 3000 in this regard. But separate to this, there was a second element looked at, um, which was in the absence of an objectively justified retirement policy, Miss Butler shouldn't actually have been put in a position to choose between the two options put forward by the managing director, which as a reminder were retiring at 65 or a six month extension. This was relevant in the circumstances where she was entitled actually to remain in employment for as long as she needed to stay on. So notwithstanding the company's failure to consider whether or not objective justification existed to support a policy on mandatory retirement at 65, the court stated the following, and I will read it in full as as it is an important takeaway um, from today's conversation. 
So the court noted that there, there was clear evidence before the court is that it was the respondent's practice to retire employees at that age. And most interestingly, there was evidence before the court of the respondent exercising a degree of flexibility in the manner in which it applied that practice with reference to the named comparators and that it agreed to her request to work six months beyond her retirement age. So on that basis, and taking account of everything that I've just gone through, the court did find that the claim of discrimination on the age ground was not well-founded. Thanks, Kier. I think that's a really interesting outcome, you know, in light of the complete failure by the company to advance any objective justification whatsoever. Yeah, absolutely, Mirren. I suppose the reference to flexibility also on behalf of the employer is very, is, is noteworthy. Yeah. And I think maybe another important point is that her original request was to work on just for six months, which was ultimately agreed to by her employer. So any detriment suffered then was ultimately, I suppose, caused, you could say, by her own refusal to engage with her employer and accept the offer made. So thanks for that, Kier. Um Moving on then to the second case, that of Board Namona and Mr. Anthony Kenny. And again, this was an appeal by the employer to the Labour Court and the Labour Court set aside the award of €25,000 made by the adjudication officer. And very briefly, the facts were that the claimant, Mr. Kenny, made a request to remain in employment beyond his retirement age of 65. Again, this is a very common query that we get from our members. So let's take a look at how the Labour Court examined the facts and applied the law to those facts. So as we know, and it came out in your case discussion there, the law requires that an employer provides objective justification for their retirement age. In other words, that there is a legitimate aim for having a particular retirement age and also that the means of achieving that aim are appropriate. Okay, and I suppose specific to this case, Mirren, what were the objective justification provided by the employer here? Yeah, so the objective justifications provided here were that the retirement age of 65 was clearly established and understood by all employees as it was in line with their conditions of employment, with the pension scheme, with custom and practice. And interestingly then as well, um, the physically demanding nature of the general operative role was cited in the appeal outcome of the internal process, so the very last stage of the internal process. Okay, interesting. And this meant, I suppose, that the employee couldn't challenge this point as it was added at a later stage. Exactly, yeah. He couldn't challenge it internally. But the court then, in in reaching their decision, had to look at, firstly, was the mandatory mandatory retirement age objectively and reasonably justified? But also, to your point, um, and unique to this case, is whether a legitimate aim must be advised to a worker in writing. Okay, so firstly then, when we look at the legitimate aims, the employee side accepted that they were legitimate, but they also argued that the means of achieving them were not appropriate and necessary as required. And just looking at what those aims were then, they were maintaining employment, preserving and improving terms and conditions of those not at pension age, the provision of a sustainable and commercially viable business, protection of the health and safety of its employees, and maintaining fairness between workers of different generations. So again, it's worth noting, I think, that the court heard extensive submissions on why those aims justified the operation of a mandatory retirement age specific to that to the respondent. And employers should be cognizant of the need to be able to stand over any legitimate aims they put forward. That it's not enough simply to list them out after the fact without being able to stand over them at a third party and to illustrate like what measures the company has taken to achieve those aims in in addition to enforcing the retirement age, but also then to consider is there, well, is there any other means of achieving those aims as well? 
Okay, interesting, Miran. I suppose going back to the question of whether or not these aims must be advised to the worker in writing, what did the court have to say around this? Okay, so the company's position was that it did not have any obligation to use any particular formula of words to describe the legitimate aims in its correspondence. And they referenced a lot of European case law to back this up, which we don't have time to go into today, but it's perhaps worth reading the full decision. Um, They also referenced the fact that a retirement age of 65 was expressly agreed as a key element of collective agreements between them and the unions. And the employee had, in fact, benefited from those agreements by having continued to work until 65 in the first place, but he'd also received a 3% pay increase. So looking then at the court findings, I suppose, the court found that although the correspondence sent to the employee did not expressly set out the legitimate aims, they found that this didn't invalidate the existence of those legitimate aims. And they also found that the company was in compliance with the Code of Practice and Longer Working. And finally then, um, the court found that although the company had initially refused the application of the employee to remain on, that decision was reversed by correspondence at a later date. And now, crucially, that later date was both before the date the claim was lodged at the WRC, but also before the date of his retirement. So that any detriment caused by that letter was effectively reversed in good time. Um, and all of this ultimately led to a finding that the complainant was not discriminated against on the grounds of age and the adjudicating officer's decision was set aside. So I think those are two really interesting decisions um, there on what is a very topical and sometimes complex area of the law. But as always, members should contact their executive if they have any specific queries in this area. That's great. Thanks, Mirren. So that concludes this episode. Thank you for listening. And for more content like this, be sure to explore the audio hub on ibec.ie and follow the ibec on Twitter at ibec underscore IRL. Thank you.